you're listening to Dentistry's Growing with Grace podcast. I am Grace Rizza, and today I'm so excited to have Lindy, Linda Harvey. Mm-hmm. I called you Lindy. You have a new nickname. Okay. Linda Harvey with me today. Linda, thank you so much for being here. Oh, Grace, it's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to spending this time with you. So Linda, for those who maybe don't know you yet, I know most people do, and I, I know how I perceive you, tell our audience a little bit about what you're passionate about and how you help dentists. Right. Well, I'm a former hygienist. And back when I was practicing, I knew there was a time that I was ready to expand beyond the four walls of an operatory. And there weren't all these cool different opportunities that we see now with different um, industry experts and sales and educational positions. And uh, a good friend of mine, a nursing friend, as a matter of fact, said, you need to go into risk management. And at that time, I said, risk what? What are you talking about? (laughs) And as I took courses and became knowledgeable in this area, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this makes so much sense. Of course, it was all medically oriented. I'm thinking, we need this information in dentistry. So I became very passionate about patient safety, minimizing risk, helping the whole team be the best that they can be. Maybe not so much with the technical aspect of care, how to do a better crown prep or how to, uh, you know, more efficient scaling or root planing, but it was all the non-technical aspects that kind of comprise care when it's delivered. So I just became passionate about how can we reduce risk, improve safety, and really just streamline all of our processes and make everything congruent in a practice. I love it. So when you say reduce, reduce risk, um, what do you mean? Well, there's several ways to look at this. One is first, we want to reduce risk to the patient. We want to make sure the patient is safe throughout their entire visit, that by effective communication among the team members, everyone knows whether there's a health history issue, everyone's aware of what procedures or um, treatments being rendered that day, so everybody's on the same page. Uh, We don't hear as much in dentistry as we do in medicine about wrong site surgeries and horrible mishaps and wrong medications being given, but those kinds of mishaps can occur in dentistry. Oh, yeah. You could pull the wrong tooth. It has happened, yes. It's happened, and and even worse, things have happened, not knowing allergies of a patient, recent stories even that are just devastating. So tell me about what you can do to help a dental team really feel confident that they're providing the best care possible in a very safe way and, and really, how do you help dentists protect their patients? Well, one of the ways that we do that, Grace, is through our mock inspections that we provide on site. With that, we primarily start focusing on infection control and OSHA compliance. Even though OSHA is more about staff safety, we know that if we can have safety for everyone, it's a win-win for the practice, the employees, and the patients. So we start with that premise first and go through all the sterilization, infection control protocols. If they've um, engaged us for more of an expanded, expanded inspection or audit, then we'll begin to look at other things. What are the health histories? Has that document been updated lately? Is everything being completed? Not so much a coding and billing audit. I wanted just to say that that's, that's another area of expertise and we have some great friends in our industry that, that manage that quite well, but more so just as the basic documentation in place. You know, since 2003, I've had the opportunity to work with dentists in various states that have been in trouble with the licensing board. And primarily what I've found is it's not usually a standard of care issue, but what comes out of that 
is that there are record keeping violations because their peers, the dentist on the board or an independent reviewer have looked at that record and said there's information that's missing. So that creates a whole quagmire for patient safety there if you don't have good communication verbally and written format. I love your vocabulary, Linda. <laughs> you use big words and it uh -oh. is me. No, I just love it. I love talking to you. You always have so much detailed information and and today we probably won't even be able to scratch the surface, but we will get people thinking about things that, that they yeah. need to question, they need to know about. So well, let me if I need to bring it down a different level, because sometimes I get talking and and I remember one day I was excited and I was speaking to a friend and we were talking about one of the compliance areas. And she said to me, do you realize you just said an entire sentence and you didn't use one word? It was all acronyms and jargon. <laughs> so, so please help me say in the real world. Sometimes. I, I, I speak acronyms and jargon and, and I think most people do. So, um, but we, I will break it down every chance I get. So don't worry. Yeah. So one thing that I want to kind of call out, mm -hmm. dentists and dental teams are notorious for saying, don't wait until it hurts. Don't wait until it hurts to call us. Don't wait until it hurts to come to the dentist. However, they are also notorious for waiting until it hurts. So mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about how that statement plays into what you do. Oh my gosh, I've never thought about that statement, but I'm going to borrow it, Grace. It's perfect. Go ahead. It's all yours. It's, it's perfect. Because many times they do. They realize that they've been out of compliance with OSHA. They haven't had OSHA training, you know, in a number of years. And actually the federal law, has, which has been in place for over 20 years, re requires dental practices and other businesses to have annual OSHA training, which is once every 365 days, not once in a calendar year. And they just fall behind. And some of the things that I see that cause that to happen is, dental teams get busy with the business of dentistry. And with that, I mean, they've got their head down looking at a patient's mouth all day, and that's their number one focus. That's where they're making their living, and that's where they're making their impact. And when that happens, then we end up focusing on what makes that world revolve smoother and easier. So therefore, we see a lot of technological advancements in practices with cone beans and enteral cameras and steric machines and all kinds of equipment coming in and even more um, sophisticated equipment in the dental hygiene world too. And then the other areas of compliance end up falling away. They're too busy to think about HIPAA or they buy a manual that's fill in the blank and they've forgotten to do it, nobody had time, or, or that person's no longer with the practice. So it's challenging for them to keep up with that when sometimes compliance doesn't have the ROI and you know that marketing does. And let's face it, compliance is not sexy. <laughs> it's just not well, and I'll tell you. Marketing's not sexy to dentists either. They don't want to deal with that either. And <laughs> some of them do, but it, it's, I feel like we should have an annual not sexy checklist of things you that go. you don't want to think about, but just like your annual mammogram or, mm -hmm. or whatever screening you need for your health, your business has to maintain a certain level of health. So just right. having a checklist of these are the things we need to do every year. Mm -hmm. Let's get it done could be huge for a practice. It would be, it would be. I like that, the not sexy checklist. Yeah, well, that. <laughs> I love it, yeah. Throw me in, I'll help too. They, <laughs> they need this. So when it comes to compliance, so you talked a lot about OSHA, um, and before we kind of branch out into other things, what are some of the common Cause there's a, you know, you see on the news when really horrible things happen mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I feel like those things could happen to anyone who's not in compliance. 
right? right? And so what are some of the common, most common things that you see um, happen as a result of kind of putting in this on the back burner for five years or 10 years? Well, one of the couple things we see, starting with the paperwork, the paperwork is not compliant, it's not up to date. And just like our patient records, and I have a whole philosophy on that that hopefully we'll have time to share with that today, that it's just not filled up and it's not up to date. So that's where some the first part starts. There's not been time or staff isn't aware of what needs to be kept up to date or even what to do to begin with, you know, as far as like having the talent at the practice level to understand that, that requirement. And OSHA was mandated several years ago by Congress, to, as, along with a number of other federal agencies, to increase their fines annually to keep up with the cost of living. So an OSHA fine per violation per day went up from 7,000 something dollars, now it's over $13,000 per day. Per day? Per day, per violation. And not having an up-to-date OSHA manual, for example, there's a big risk here. So when you think about the amount of fines, the investment in, <laughs> I'm not gonna be able to do CPR over, the, over this Zoom meeting now. <laughs> You may have to call someone over. I'll give you my address. I am back <laughs> at this. I had no idea it was mm -hmm. such a huge penalty. And so mm -hmm. I, I want to, I want to jump in real sure. quick on this. You don't necessarily have to kill someone or hurt someone for this to come back on you. You could have one pissed off ex-employee <laughs> trigger a whole slew, and I hope I now don't give any unethical people any ideas to be vindictive because you're not cool. If you're listening to this going, ooh, I've got leverage, like no one likes you. But yeah. really, truly, this doesn't just happen because you hurt someone. This could happen just because you've been careless. You could get, you could get hit. Mm -hmm. yeah. <gasps> so it could happen, and it has happened. We've experienced it happening. It's not, it's not the uh, majority of the time, thank goodness, that most of the time, when team members speak up to the doctor or the office manager, they want to make an improvement. They want things to be safer, they want things to be better, and either one, the man, I'll say management, because I don't know whether it would be the doctor or the manager sometimes, but management doesn't want to listen to that. Either there's a cost involved or someone doesn't have the same opinion, so they think there's an option of not doing it, and frequently that's not the case. And here's a quick example. A number of state dental practice acts have adopted the CDC guidelines for infection control for dental practices as law. And you'll be surprised at how many times you work with the practice and the doctor will say, hmm, what are the things that are nice to do? Meaning kind of what's optional because I'm not sure I wanna pay for those. And what are the things that I have to do? Because these are the things that I will focus on first. Mm -hmm. And they're both important because they're both gonna be safety driven and you know prevent fines and injuries and just, it helps to really market the practice when you're looking for a competitive edge these days and maybe your on hold message or your website says, you know, we follow the CDC guidelines. I would want to ask, do you even have a copy of them in your practice? What's your accountability? You know, have you come full circle with that to be sure that you're really living what you're saying that your practice is? Yeah. It's about transparency and just being accountable ourselves. You know, I want to be accountable to, to my clients. I want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. And if I'm not the right person for the project and they need a different kind of expertise, then I need to, you know, refer them to someone else. Absolutely. So um, there's a dentist somewhere listening or watching thinking, I don't have time for this quick next episode, right? I don't want to worry about this. I don't want to think about this. You know, 
what can we say in terms of what kind of time investment are you looking at to have um, your team come in and just get them sleeping better at night? When these things are handled and you feel confident about these things, you have a better sense of just peace in your life. What kind of time investment? I think, I think time is more valuable than money. You can't get your time back. And most doctors right. are not great at managing tasks and therefore that bleeds into their time management. Mm -hmm. What does this look like? What I would say is first is you can't put a price on your peace and your peace of mind and your license and your practice. I mean, it can get valued when it's time to sell or bring in a partner or all that, but you really can't put a price on that. But for us to come in, it's usually a one day event. And then if we follow up because we determine that the office needs customized policies and procedures, then we try to minimize our impact on the practice by getting information as much as possible, customizing them ourselves, um, mailing them to the practice. We believe in giving hard copy and electronic copy and, and then holding a telephone debrief. So there's multiple ways that we work with the practice around their schedules to make that happen. Um, Do they have to shut down for the day? No, no, no. Good question. Thank you. No, they actually don't. We prefer to see the practice while it's in full swing. So they've shut down for part of the day for the training session. Like we'll do a three hour training session and it may be OSHA, hip and infection control combined, for example. But during the part where we're actually doing our mock inspection, we want to see everything running just full steam ahead because that's when we really get a full picture of what's going on and appreciate who's doing what or not doing what. You know, you can have a tour of any practice and they will tell you exactly what you want to hear when there's no patients. Mm -hmm. You know, and they're not doing it on purpose, but everybody's trying to please. And so they want to please the consultant. They want to please the doctor and they tell you what you should, you know, what you think you want to hear. Yeah. And it's better to just see it. It's better to get a true audit, to know what you need to do, because once it becomes a legal matter, they're not going to just ask you for your word. It's going to be, well, how does it, how do you actually operate? And, mm -hmm. and sometimes I think the doctor doesn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I think the doctor thinks, well, we're doing this all correctly, right? Yes. Yes. Oh, that's so accurate, Grace. It's so accurate. They entrust their employees. Uh, they know, you know, Susie has managed to set another practice, so she's going to take over my OSHA, but we don't really know what her background was and if she was doing it correctly or as thoroughly as she should have or could have. And then we make this assumption that we bring on a new team member that if they have experience or even if they're right out of school, we assume that they know how to work our equipment, our practice and the sterilizer and the ultrasonic. And, and I find all these things that um, really aren't done according to the manufacturer's instructions to use and the standard of care. We get, we all get in this routine of doing things the way we're used to doing it. And we don't realize that we're in a bad habit or work around. Yep. And it's different and it varies. I think the laws, do they vary state to state or is it a national situation? Well, they do vary from state to state because every state is governed by their own dental board and there's those regulations that are promulgated through the dental boards and their state legislature or, or session. And then, as I mentioned, some states have adopted the CDC guidelines. And so that adds a whole nother dimension to compliance for that practice or that state. And then some states like New York and South Carolina and Arizona have a requirement to have infection control. Iowa's another one, infection control, you know, courses taken every year. So there's, everything is just varied and we try to stay on top of what's happening in those trends. Um, some states like Michigan have their own bloodborne pathogen standard, 
which most of the other states, may, I think Washington State may be another one, but everybody else follows the federal guidelines. So if you're going to do a training in Michigan, you better know something about that state law, even if Absolutely. you're not in it, to at least point them to the resources and help them get what they need to be compliant and don't just assume, oh, we're just doing federal, you know, you're on your own. You know, we just don't want to leave offices hanging when we could do a better job. Absolutely. So, Linda, what, what states can you provide service to? Primarily, we work um, with almost every state except for California. We leave that to our good friend Leslie Cannon because she does a very complex state in a number of areas, not just OSHA and compliance and dental work, but HR and everything. Um, but probably most every other state, we find that there are other um, consultants that if we're not able to get to a state or they need assistance, then we would refer, refer them to one of our trusted colleagues in the industry that we know has you know, good experience and good background. Good. Very good. And the highest level of training and, and uh, credibility there. It's so important. Um, well, thank you for sharing that. Let's talk a little bit about marketing. So I'm going to just like pass you the mic and, and tell me what you see and tell me kind of how you see these two areas of expertise um, crossing over. Okay. Well, we, we first think of compliance or the culture of compliance and really compliance is a culture and it goes through all aspects of our community, our society, our practice, it's everywhere. And when you look at news stories, many times they're about compliance, even though they don't say there's non-compliance, you know, when there's a recall of food products or um, some banking scam or whatnot, it's about compliance. So in marketing, when we look at transparency in what a dental practice is doing, many times their message on hold and their website and their social media sites all talk about and try to set certain expectations for the patient. You know, we have this comfort station or we cater to cowards. Um, our staff is highly trained. And so, or we follow the CDC guidelines or we're OSHA compliant. So I know there's no office that's perfect, right? We can all, we're all humans and that can happen to all of us. We make mistakes or we forget. But when you have those types of statements out in the public world and arena, how much do you back them up? You know, do you, or is that false advertising? Are you really following through? You know, has your staff, you know, do you have a copy of the CDC guidelines for infection control? If you're saying on your website or your, or your printed material that you're following them, is it more than just sterilizing some instruments? You know, there's a lot more to that than just those simple things. And likewise for staff that's highly trained, what does that mean? You know, does that mean that your dental assistants have been going to extra training, they have extra credentials, or you send them to courses every year, or bring experts in? Um, you know, how how do you how do you justify that? How do you how do you how do you begin to kind of tie all those pieces together to kind of really have the depth of what you're saying? So it's not just words; that there's actually something below it, and there's actually substance there. That's so important that you mention that because you know, as a marketing agency, we always got we have people telling us different things all the time. We start with a questionnaire, we learn about what makes them unique and, and special and we create content. But if you don't live what you're putting out mm -hmm. to the world, you're going to really hurt your brand. Mm -hmm. And I, that's one of the worst things you keep, cause your marketing is lying about you. Mm -hmm. And when you, when you have a certain standard set from the words, that's a promise to people, mm -hmm. that's a promise to your community. So you have an obligation to fulfill that promise. And so I'm really glad that you bring that up because that, that translates into anything. Now, Linda, do you work with anyone in regards to HIPAA? 
we provide HIPAA compliance services. Okay. We've been, yeah, we've been doing that. When I worked in the corporate medical field up until about 2005, I was a corporate um, in the risk management department, thanks to my friend, my nursing friend. Um, and so that's where we all began to get trained. So I became, became very indoctrinated, you know, in that the, from the very early on. And then it has sort of evolved with that, with my risk management training and going through other, you know, compliance courses. And this year it's on my radar to get com certified in healthcare compliance or privacy, just to add one more credential, you know, level of expertise. Um, and so we really, um, we see a lot of happening there. I've worked with a handful of complaints with the Office of Civil Rights. Mostly it's an attorney that will call me because the, their client um, doesn't have the information they need to submit the right report. They don't have policies mm. and procedures. They didn't do staff training. They don't have a security risk analysis. So attorneys don't want to create that for the most part. They will contact, you know, qualified consultant to do that. It's, it's very easy to, to um, go against HIPAA recommendations in marketing. Very, very, very easy. We could spend a whole podcast on that. Trust me. But I'll, just, I'll mention a few things that I know of that um, I've seen other people in the dental marketing space that, that maybe have less experience and credentials either in dentistry or in marketing. Mm -hmm. um, so for instance, there is a way to retarget existing patients with your, with your marketing. So you could go into Facebook and you could upload a list of your patients and you could create what's called a lookalike audience. And then there's another consultant out there talking all about lookalike audiences and, and what a cool shortcut it is to building your audience. And I think it is a huge risk. As soon as you give patient information to Facebook, you didn't get permission specifically to share patient information with Facebook. And Facebook's notorious for sharing your information with anyone. So this is happening. This is actually doctors are being told to do this and they're like, Oh, great idea. And it's like, wait, wait, wait. Anytime you're dealing with patient information, there's a, I mean, where's the encryption? Where's the changing of passwords? Like where is all of this? So that's one common area that I see. If you do that, you're, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. Like that's not going to end well. And it hasn't really been brought to light. I don't think it's been, I don't know that it's really been talked about specifically but it's pretty clear that it's not right, in my opinion. What are yeah, your thoughts on it? You're absolutely right. And I am 100% on your page, Grace. Um, anytime that any patient information is used for marketing, and it's, you're talking about a name, email, some basic, even that demographic information is considered protected health information. It also is considered protect, uh, personally identifiable information as well. And we have to have, we, dental practice has to have a written document in place called a marketing authorization form. And that authorization form under the privacy rule outlines the different specific components that have to be on this form. Many times over a practice will say, well, I've got a video release form. And I'm thinking, okay, that's great, but that is not HIPAA compliant. That's, it's, it's not the same thing too as sharing their information. Like saying, yes, we can market to you is different. It's a different permission than mm -hmm. saying, I'm going to upload your private information to a third-party platform mm -hmm. that I know is not encrypted and HIPAA compliant. <laughs> well, the form, actually, believe it or not, the HIPAA mark authorization form requires that you list what information you're going to be sharing, and it lists what purposes that you're going to be doing. So, 
you know, hopefully someone would not just say social media because you would think, oh, they're just going to mention my name or put something my, my before and after pictures on Facebook. Well, you need even x-rays. You have to talk about that. We recently, in the past couple of months, hosted not one but two free webinar sessions with an Office of Civil Rights Investigator from Atlanta, Miss Emily Crabb. We weren't allowed to record those because that's the agency policy. So for the first one, I did a little three-minute recap, and I haven't gotten around to doing the next one. It'll probably be something unplugged and more informal. Um, but she specifically has talked about the fact that if it's identifiable, then you cannot use it without having patient you know, permission, which is considered the authorization is the proper term that's used. And so, like you said, a video release form doesn't say what you're releasing it for, what your purpose is, and actually it has to have a revocation statement. Mm -hmm. It either has to have an end date or either has to have an, ex you know, like an event, like uh, you can use my information until I give you, until um, I retract it in writing, for example. Yeah, and, and the people that are doing this kind of marketing just need to realize there are other ways to mm -hmm. get people to opt in, to follow you, and to see your messaging, and to be a part of your practice. There's other ways that aren't any more cost effective and mm -hmm. not that much of an advantage that you should risk your, you know, all this liability. Um, a couple other areas that I see is emails mm -hmm. when people are sending unencrypted emails with patient information. So they're forwarding information to specialists. Um, my, people mm -hmm. think because you fax it that it's secure. Fax is not mm -hmm. secure at all, especially because most faxes just come to email now. So people will be like, Grace, what's your fax number? Because I don't want to send anything private. And I'm yeah. like, don't send me patient information. Just send me the numbers. I don't want patient information. And here's my fax number. But really, it's my email. It's just a fax that they can email. Right. So, you know, that's a big area is email. And there is HIPAA compliant email that you can have. Mm -hmm. um, another thing mm -hmm. is web forms. So when someone wants to contact you, web forms and chat. So yes. someone wants to yep. contact you through your website. So all of our websites have a disclaimer on them um, explaining that this isn't a private, that you're basically, we don't have control over where this information goes. This is not a private encrypted platform and I don't have it memorized, but mm -hmm. we're telling them contact our, contact our office by phone to share any personal information or anything, you know, and that notification I think is the best that we can do without getting rid of forms completely. And we're totally on the same page with you. We've got um, the way the privacy rule reads, protected health information is about past, present and future patients and their past, present and future treatment and as well as payment. <clears throat> so with that, you need to have, people will say, well, this is not a patient yet, but we don't have to worry about that person. They're just checking us out. Well, because they look like they're going to be a future patient, you need to have all that information. So having a business associate agreement in place with the webmaster, making sure the information is sent securely, all that definitely needs to be in place. You would yep. encourage them not to put protected health information in their form, but you know they may or they may not. They still have to have that information secure. Absolutely. Um, another thing I see is with um, website chat functionality, and mm -hmm. reviews. So a patient or an ex-employee or something will go and they had a bad mm -hmm. experience or they're trying to extort, they're trying to get money out of the doctor, you know, mm -hmm. and they're going to say something about how they were treated. And the doctor may then want to reply and say, well, no, you are, your appointment was actually on this date and you paid this amount and you were told. And so when you're trying to defend yourself from an attack, you end up 
creating a real problem in terms of security. So that's one that I see happen on occasion. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a lot of back and forth communication through, through chatbots and, you know, technology that's not encrypted, not password protected. So anytime that exists, you want to have a disclaimer. But if you send this information, you know, before you send this information, please know that it's not private. And I don't have the verbiage, but that's why they should call you is get your verbiage. What does it need to say for your state and your marketing company should be able to implement that for you. And, you know, another piece of that, Grace, is if the patient is, is looking for to communicate with an office in a quick, fast way, which we do, you know, text and chat, they may be sending information over, as you mentioned, and it's not encrypted, but they may have a toothache or maybe about treatment. And now you have information that needs to be captured in the patient record that's not there. So if there's any lack of communication or miscommunication, then the doctor has nothing to support his or her stance of why they did what they did. Or maybe the doctor doesn't even know about it because whoever's receiving that information in the office goes, oh, well, may, you know, we usually recommend that patients just take two aspirin and call us tomorrow, you know, whatever. And then the patient does that and it's not the right advice. Now it comes back on the practice and particularly the doctor's license. And well, this can happen over the phone as well, where someone calls in with a question and that question is never documented anywhere. So mm -hmm. getting your team in the habit of document, 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 it's everything. So it comes down to leadership, the whole compliance and culture of compliance. It comes down to leadership and having accountability built in. So that way you have people, your team reporting to you at staff meetings. Yes, we ran the sterilizer, you know, every week the past month and we didn't have any failures. That way, you know, it's being done. They say it takes a village to raise children. I think it takes a village to be a strong leader in dentistry. You yeah. need your experts. You need your set of advisors mm -hmm. you trust and you can depend on. And you need your, your annual non-sexy checklist. <laughs> you, really, you, need, you really do. So, um, Linda, is there anything else that you want to touch on with our listeners and our viewers? Well, Grace, one thing I'd like to mention um, that we kind of skirted on earlier is about their policies and procedures. You know, I'm beginning to look at, doesn't matter whether it's an HR policy or, you know, OSHA, HIP or any of those, that the policies and procedures in a practice are like your patient records. So when you start looking at that analogy, one of the first things we think of, if it's not written down, it didn't happen. You don't have cookie cutter patient records, so you shouldn't have cookie cutter, you know, policies and procedures. OSHA, HIPAA, HR should be customized for your practice. And sometimes you get these templates or I've seen offices have bad copies of someone else's policies and procedures because they're in the same state. And they they just got didn't. it because they got it on Facebook. Exactly. You know, and, and then you would never white out information. You would never change it like that. And of course, if you have a fill in the blank manual with that electronic copy, when it's time to make changes, that's exactly what you're going to do. You're going to white it out or you're going to line through it. Now you never have an original copy of your policies and procedures. And if something comes to light, and you're called into question and you have to produce a policy or what you did at a certain time frame two or three years ago and it's not there then it's just like your patient record you have no defense you didn't do it so we're really big about customized policies and procedures electronic copy if they want a paper copy as well because they still like paper binders that's fine too but now they have ownership of that content which you can't do if you have a fill in the blank manual you have to approach it much differently. Well, you're speaking my language here, Linda, especially with, with customizing and customizing who you are and what you do and what you want for your practice. It, it's the same for everything. It's for everything. It's for marketing. It's for communication. 
it's, you never want to meet a doctor and just tell them what they need without mm-hmm. figuring out their vision, what's important, what kind of practice and services they offer. So it's a, that's an excellent point. So tell, tell our audience how they can get in touch with you if they're interested in your services, because what you're doing in the way that you help people, it's so detail oriented and, and people need to know, they need to have this conversation with an expert and, and again, they're going to sleep better. They're going to sleep better. So how do you, how do you, um, how should they get in touch with you to learn more? Well, they can call our office at 904-573-2232, 904-573-2232, or visit my first website, lindaharvey.net. That's lindaharvey.net. Thank you. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today, Linda. And I really appreciate this information that you've so graciously shared with our audience. Holy my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, Grace.